0: Section 3 of Bird Stories from Burrows by John Burrows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a recording by Sandra. Bird Stories from Burrows by John Burrows. Section 3 The Flicker. Another April comer, who arrives shortly after Robin Redbreast, with whom he associates, both at this season and in the autumn, is the gold-winged woodpecker, alias High Hole, alias Flicker, alias Yarup, alias Yellowhammer. He is an old favourite of my boyhood, and his note to me means very much. He announces his arrival by a long, loud call, repeated from the dry branch of some tree, or a stake in the fence, a thoroughly melodious April sound. I think how Solomon finished that beautiful description of spring, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land, and see that a description of spring in this farming country, to be equally characteristic, should culminate in like manner, and the call of the high-hole comes up from the wood. It is a loud, strong, sonorous call, and does not seem to imply an answer, but rather to subserve some purpose of love or music. It is Yarup's proclamation of peace and good-will to all. I recall an ancient maple standing sentry to a large sugar bush that, year after year, afforded protection to a brood of yellow hammers in its decayed heart. A week or two before the nesting seemed actually to have begun, three or four of these birds might be seen, on almost any bright morning, gambling and courting amid its decayed branches. Sometimes you would hear only a gentle, persuasive cooing, or a quiet, confidential chattering, then that long, loud call, taken up by first one, then the other, as they sat about upon the naked limbs. Anon, a sort of wild, rollicking laughter, intermingled with various cries, yelps, and squeals, as if some incident had excited their mirth and ridicule, whether this social hilarity and boisterousness is in celebration of the pairing or mating ceremony or whether it is only a sort of annual housewarming common among high holes on resuming their summer quarters is a question upon which i reserve my judgment unlike most of his kinsmen the golden wing prefers the fields and the borders of the forest to the deeper seclusion of the woods and hence contrary to the habit of his tribe, obtains most of his subsistence from the ground, probing it for ants and crickets. He is not quite satisfied with being a woodpecker. He courts the society of the robin and the finches, abandons the trees for the meadow, and feeds eagerly upon berries and grain. What may be the final upshot of this course of living is a question worthy the attention of Darwin. Will his taking to the ground, and his pedestrian feats, result in lengthening his legs? His feeding upon berries and grains, subdue his tints, and soften his voice? And his associating with robin, put a song into his heart? In the cavity of an apple-tree, much nearer the house than they usually build, a pair of high-holes took up their abode. A knot hole, which led to the decayed interior, was enlarged, the live wood being cut away as clean as a squirrel would have done it. The inside preparations I could not witness, but day after day, as I passed near, I heard the bird hammering away, evidently beating down obstructions and shaping and enlarging the cavity. The chips were not brought out, but were used rather to floor the interior. The woodpeckers are not nest-builders, but rather nest-carvers. The time seemed very short before the voices of the young were heard in the heart of the old tree, at first feebly, but waxing stronger day by day, until they could be heard many rods distant. When I put my hand upon the trunk of the tree, they would set up an eager, expectant chattering, but if I climbed up it towards the opening they soon detected the unusual sound, and would hush quickly, only now and then uttering a warning note. Long before they were fully fledged, they clambered up to the orifice to receive their food. As but one could stand in the opening at a time, there was a good deal of elbowing and struggling for this position. It was a very desirable one aside from the advantages it had when food was served. It looked out upon the great shining world, into which the young birds seemed never tired of gazing. The fresh air must have been a consideration also, for the interior of a high house dwelling is not sweet. When the parent birds came with food, the young one in the opening did not get it all, but after he had received a portion, either on his own motion, or on a hint from the old one, he would give place to the one behind him. Still, one bird evidently outstripped his fellows, and in the race of life was two or three days in advance of them. His voice was loudest, and his head oftenest at the window. But I noticed that, when he had kept the position too long, the others evidently made it uncomfortable in his rear, and after fidgeting about a while, he would be compelled to back down. But retaliation was then easy, and I fear his mates spent few easy moments at that lookout. They would close their eyes and slide back into the cavity, as if the world had suddenly lost all its charms for them. This bird was, of course, the first to leave the nest. For two days before that event, he kept his position in the opening most of the time and sent forth his strong voice incessantly. The old ones abstained from feeding him almost entirely, no doubt to encourage his exit. As I stood looking at him one afternoon and noting his progress, he suddenly reached a resolution. Seconded, I have no doubt, from the rear, and launched forth upon his untried wings. They served him well, and carried him about fifty yards uphill the first heat. The second day after, the next in size and spirit left in the same manner, then another, till only one remained. The parent birds ceased their visits to him, and for one day he called and called till our ears were tired of the sound. His was the faintest heart of all. Then he had none to encourage him from behind. He left the nest, and clung to the outer bowl of the tree, and yelped and piped for an hour longer. Then he committed himself to his wings, and went his way like the rest. The matchmaking of the high holes, which often comes under my observation, is in marked contrast to that of the robins and the bluebirds. There does not appear to be any anger or any blows. The male or two males will alight on a limb in front of the female and go through with a series of bowings and scrapings that are truly comical. He spreads his tail, he puffs out his breast, he throws back his head and then bends his body to the right and to the left, uttering all the while a curious musical hiccup. The female confronts him unmoved, but whether her attitude is critical or defensive, I cannot tell. Presently, she flies away, followed by her suitor or suitors, and the little comedy is enacted on another stump or tree. Among all the woodpeckers, the drum plays an important part in the matchmaking, the male takes up his stand on a dry, resonant limb, or on a ridge-board of a building, and beats the loudest call he is capable of. A favourite drum of the high-holes about me is a hollow wooden tube, a section of a pump, which stands as a bird-box upon my summer-house. It is a good instrument. Its tone is sharp and clear. A high-hole alights upon it and sends forth a rattle that can be heard a long way off. Then he lifts up his head and utters that long April call. wick whick, whick, whick. Then he drums again. If the female does not find him, it is not because he does not make noise enough. But his sounds are all welcome to the ear. They are simple and primitive, and voice well a certain sentiment of the April days. As I write these lines, I hear through the half-open door his call, come up from a distant field. Then I hear the steady hammering of one that has been for three days trying to penetrate the weather-boarding of the big ice-house by the river, and to reach the sawdust filling for a nesting-place. End of section 3.